At the heart of the Christian faith lies the often unspoken affirmation of the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's upon this foundation, this affirmation, that God is God and nothing else, that all other matters derive their proper place. And we surmise that many of our human dilemmas are a product of idolatry, of forgetting this most important first principle. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy God, your word is like fire. By the power of your spirit, illumine our sight and inflame our hearts, that we may live lives more faithful to your will. Amen. Timothy is instructed to focus his life on righteousness, faith, and love, so that he might take hold of life that really is life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, Command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of life that really is life. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Steve, who am I? I had never heard this question so fiercely and baldly asked within the first minutes of a scheduled conversation. This 40-something woman possessed a PhD in physics, but by her 30th birthday or so had made a, made a career move for investment banking. She had opted for the money thing instead of the science thing, and she had made a lot of it. But over the last couple of months, she was feeling dry as dust about her life. Sure, she had succeeded way beyond her initial goals, but 
Somehow that didn't satisfy a growing inner hunger or desire or, well, you know, she didn't really know how to describe what she was feeling. A kind of emptiness, I guess. She had awakened in the morning with that question looming in her consciousness and it wouldn't let her go. She said it boomed in her inner being is, as in, who the hell am I? She couldn't shake it. That's why she wanted some conversation. She didn't know where else to bring the question. I learned that as a child, her parents practiced a kind of lukewarm religion for several years that never really stuck or meant anything. Eventually, she became a scientist, agnostic at best, and then a practical, no-nonsense achiever, believing that was the route to a life worth living. At the time, I observed that she must feel very much at home in New York City since that kind of mindset predominates here the great attractor of overachievers. Well, she, she snorted at that comment and said that didn't give her much comfort. The truth was she didn't really have all that much respect for a lot of the people she had worked with over the years. Initially, the ones she found most intriguing and most helpful were those who had mastered certain traits like dogged determination, focused attention on tangible outcomes, and a well-organized, disciplined life targeted for success. Success, after all, was the coin of the realm. Everyone wanted it, didn't they? Don't you, Steve? Her tone at that point was actually competitive, confrontational. Sure, I replied. Nothing wrong with success as far as it goes. I'm all for it. But here you are, hounded by sleepless nights, so I guess it doesn't go as far as you thought it might. And, and anyway, this conversation isn't some kind of competition. It's just two people thinking aloud about things that matter most, right? In his book, The Second Mountain, David Brooks reports that after having achieved, quote, far more professional success than I ever expected to, unquote, his life came unglued. His marriage fell apart and he awoke to the realization that he had lost sight of himself, becoming aloof, invulnerable, and uncommunicative, sidestepping responsibilities of relationship. 2013 was, was the year it crashed in on him. Brooks didn't frame it this way, but he might just as well have said he awoke one morning and thought, who the hell am I? Then falling into the valley of despond, in his words, unplanted, lonely, humiliated, scattered." Unquote. He spent the next five years thinking and reading about how to give your life meaning after worldly success has failed to fulfill. The book emerges from this search. Brooks recounts that he's a product of his time, our time, a time idolizing narcissistic hyper-individualism where people are disconnected from one another, living fragmented lives in a pursuit of self-actualized achievement of one sort or another. That's the grand cultural expectation anyway. We're each on our own making a lonely journey devoid of an overarching moral framework binding us together in common cause. 
But hidden within this formulation lies a two-edged sword, slicing up both those who do achieve some measure of success, as well as those who secretly believe they're losers because they haven't achieved enough. Sometimes, you know, that's one in the same person. That's because success, however it's defined, is a false god for a life's ultimate purpose. And sometimes the false floor falls away like it did for Brooks and my new friend, leaving them lost, ungrounded, floating, and unmoored. Organizing frameworks based in rich and thick relationships don't matter as much in these days, do they? The frameworks that used to stimulate our meaning-making, things like family, community, religious faith, and belonging, things that weave a moral structure with dense layering of relationships. Nope, nope. We're all on our own, baby. And what have you got to show for yourself? Brooks writes, in a hyper-individualistic society, people are not measured by how they conform to a shared moral code. They are not measured by how fully they have submerged themselves in thick relationships. They are measured by what they have individually achieved. Status, admiration, and being loved follow personal achievement. Selfishness is accepted boldly because taking care of and promoting the self is the prime mission. Researchers at the Harvard Graduate School of Education asked 10,000 middle and high school students if their parents cared more about their personal achievements or whether they were kind. 80% said their parents cared far more about achievements, individual success over relational bonds. How might you answer the same question? This reminds me of another conversation I had a number of years ago with a young man preparing for college. He asked me if I thought he was foolish for not taking advantage of an opportunity to cheat on the SAT. He said the proctor was very encouraging of the students to take more time than they were officially allotted to be sure they had done all they could on each of the sections. Go ahead, help each other out, the proctor said. Now, the majority availed themselves of the proctor's offer, but he stuck with the formal restraints and was now wondering if that was really, really stupid given the cutthroat competition of the college process. Now, on a very baseline level, he was asking me whether a so-called success of a certain sort, I suppose, was more important than integrity rooted in a shared moral framework. At the time, I was really impressed he was questioning this at all because the current cultural climate is so heavily weighted on the side of success at all costs. Do whatever you need to do to get ahead, for God's sake. Don't be stupid. And now, some years forward from that conversation, we have the specter of parents investing hundreds of thousands of dollars to fraudulently misrepresent their children's college applications to get them into prestigious schools. That's a great marker defining our current cultural moment. Earlier, you heard Paul urge his protege, Timothy, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Man, 
does that ever sound retrograde in these days? But it is the true antidote for the current malaise. Fight the good fight of the faith, he wrote. Take hold of the eternal life. Tell the people who are rich and successful to set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. All are to do good, rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Take hold of the life that really is is life. That could be the motto of Christ Church. That's the business we're in, helping, encouraging, prodding everyone to take hold of real life. Though she didn't have the words for it at the time, that's what my then new friend came to talk with me when she had a crisis of identity and purpose. And that's what David Brooks sensed when the bottom fell out of his life that had been so very successful up to the moment of crisis when the floor fell away and he realized that nothing truly meaningful was under his feet after all. Friends, that's where a place like this comes in. We keep our focus on the things that matter most. Jesus distilled this down for us into a single sentence since we're so dense. Luckily, Christ Church has made his wisdom our mission. Loving God above all things and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's how we take hold of life that really is life. That's it. <laughs>